You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. I think that our first record and like some of the splits we did were real riff heavy and like kind of more on the traditional side of Doom and Sludge, you know. And then as we evolved as a band, we really wanted to create atmosphere, create a, a, a sense of dread and overwhelming power and pressure and weight in the sound because the subject matter is very deep. So for me, I want people to have like a small taste of of what that turmoil at the time may have felt like for me. The music is to reflect that. Um, and I think that the only way to really do that is by having a fuckload of amps and for being very loud and for dialing your tone in to do it in a specific way. Like, Hey, what's up, everyone? Matt here from Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast. I hope that you had a killer weekend. I most certainly did. This Fox and Hops episode is presented by Heavy Montreal. Heavy Montreal are Montreal's premier metal promoter. And if you are ever in Montreal, trust me when I say this, if you are looking for a killer show to go to, Heavy Montreal will have you covered. I am beyond stoked to have Heavy Montreal behind the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast. Now, before we jump into today's episode, I'd just like to ask you to follow the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast on the podcast platform of your choice. But more than that, I would love for you to tell a friend about the podcast. To someone in your life that just loves extreme music and loves craft beer, well, you should definitely let them know that the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast exists. You could tell them that there are over 400 episodes where I sit down with some of the world's best metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while enjoying craft beers. If you would encourage one of your metalhead, beer-loving friends to become a brand new Vox and Hops head, that would be something that I would truly appreciate. This week on the podcast, I'm very stoked to be with Ethan McCarthy of Primitive Man and Vermin Wound. Get ready, everyone. This is Vox and Hops episode number 446. I warn you, what you are about to hear is very disturbing indeed. Hey, what's up, everyone? Today, I'm very stoked to be with Ethan Lee McCarthy of Primitive Man and Vermin Wound. Um, Ethan, very stoked to be with you. I've been wanting to have a chat with you for a long time, uh, and this like happens super organically, and I love when these happen. Uh, no more publicists. I'm just reaching out to people like I used to do for the first 100 episodes, just connecting with people that I'm connected with uh, through the internet on this one, and that's because uh, my review crew uh, member, Ben Lelievre, um, Put you at number two for his favorite album of 2023. Your split with uh, Full of Hell, the suffocating hallucination, was in his number two spot, and that spawned this conversation. And here we are. Very long intro, just to say, Ethan, how you doing? I'm well. I'm well. I'm well. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Super stoked to connect with you. I want to talk about loud stuff. I want to talk about horror, making people feel uncomfortable. Uh, but before all that, you know, it's Vox and Hops, and I like to talk about beer. So so, do you have a beer on your side? Are you going to drink a beer? Do you drink beer? Let's start with that. Um, so I used to drink a lot of beer, and then I kind of had to give it up uh, for health reasons. I'll drink a beer every now and then when I'm on tour and stuff, but it's usually like one beer. Um, so I, unfortunately, you caught me at the wrong time of my life when it comes to talking about beer. But I can I can tell you a little bit about, still tell you a little bit about it. Like I've drank a, a bunch of the beers that True has over there. I've drank uh, several of the beers, uh, Three Floyd's beers and Wake Brewing beers. So, you know, 
I don't drink all the time, but when I do drink, I like to drink nice beer. Hell yes. And you named like three good friends of mine. Um, you're from Denver. Obviously, I have it written here when I saw that. I wrote down true next to that. I was just there in September when Cryptopsy rolled through and um, was totally well taken care of. Zach, Zach has been on the podcast a bunch of times. And I met um, Shane was, was running the, the tap room that day. And I got super well welcomed by them. The guys in Wake. I've never been there, but I've done a bunch of collabs with them. And I love them to death. Uh, so... Denver craft beer. You you seem to have had a bunch of great beers. Uh, was was it a problem weaning it off? Um, if you want to talk about that, or open to talking about that, and then only having one beer. Is that something that you had to learn to do, or was it just an easy acceptance? Well, I, it sucks because I love beer. I mean, I love beer. I like grew up drinking beer my parents would give me little things of beer when i was like real young like like love beer my whole life kind of shit and then um it's a different time yeah it was a totally different era and you know and even no we say that now but it's still extremely acceptable in in europe to to give wine to young kids at dinner but it's a different culture let's say yeah yeah um you know so i've always loved beer drink a bunch of beer growing up and then uh but i've always been more of a weed guy so i think that that's probably why it was easier for me to just kind of go to having one because at least i have a little bit you know a little something there. <laughs> but i definitely love beer and you know after i have the one i'll consider having another but it's a slippery slope for me so it's true. No, it's 100 percent true. And uh, I hope I don't experience that today. And I hope you don't mind. But I am going to have a beer since it's Vox and Hops. And uh, my good friends uh, sent me this. So I wanted to uh, showcase it on the podcast. This is from Kanawaki Brewing. Uh, they made a stout and they've canned it. And I'm not sure for how long they've done this, but it's their Bammer 4.5 percent. Nice afternoon stout. Uh, what are you sipping on there? I just saw you take a sip of something there. Oh, just a cup of coffee. Very I, nice. least have, I have something to drink while we talked because I figured you'd be drinking beers. So. I will. I tend to do that. <laughs> Pouring this out. Talk when you were drinking beers. What what what, were, what was your style that you would gravitate towards? If you're going to True, uh, you're going to drink some funky wild stuff. Um, the other places, Wake makes killer haze. So so, uh, what 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 was your your poison of choice? Uh, I think everything but bitters. I'm not a bitters guy. I just can't do it. Um, I like a stout, you know, I'll even do an IPA. I think, I think I like a stout the most, but the issue with the stout is, is that, you know, it fills you up. So you really only going to drink a couple of them. Um, but I think a lager, if I'm, if I'm going for a volume of beers, <laughs> you know, if it- <laughs> It is much easier to, to crush a bunch of lagers for sure. There, there's uh... yeah. I mean, if you if, imagine drinking twelve stouts, you are going to feel like just uh, like like returning back to the bread. <laughs> <laughs> there are times in my life that I I I, I try not to eat bread um, because I have liquid bread every day. So so it's it's. <laughs> It's basically just that. It's a very high-carb high uh, lifestyle that I lead. This is nice. It's smooth. It's um, delicate. Uh, the body is uh, creamy. Shout out to Drew and the rest of the K-Town team for consistently making awesome beers. And now they're canning them in these black cans. And I just think it's awesome. I love it. Love it. Uh, classic Vox and Hops. 
question. I would love to hear about the soundtrack of your youth. Now, it sounds like your parents were very cool and liberal, uh, feeding you beer at a young age. Uh, I would love to hear what was playing on the radio um, when you were not in control of it. What did your parents or guardians listen to in the house as you were growing up? So this is a kind of a complicated question to answer. So uh, a lot of rock and roll and stuff and from my mom and then I had a, my mom married a man when I was really young, like when I was two years old, her and my father, you know, split up. She met another guy, married him when I was two. And he had a son that was 13 years older than me. So I would hear like a lot of rock and roll from, from him and my mom. And then from my older brother, he was playing shit like Slayer and all this shit from like really young dude. So I've been exposed to heavy metal my whole life. And uh, my birth father listen to a lot of jazz and soul and music like that. So, um, yeah, like a, a lot of stuff like music is, has been important in both of the households that I grew up in my whole life. And it just continued to be important for me. There's always music playing, you know, so, but, but anything, you know, anything from, Slayer and Exodus in my house to Sade, you know what I'm saying? Yes, hell yes. I went through a Sade phase. Yeah, I've loved Sade my whole life too, man. I, st- I still listen to her. So. Oh yeah, totally. When I was getting up, we were getting uh, the ultrasound for my daughter, who's now seven. Sade was playing on the radio, and I remember that. <laughs> so basically you had like a, a whole palette of colors to play with as you got older and started to be experimenting with music yourself. Was there ever something that was so shocking? Probably not because your brother was playing all the extreme stuff already, that when you brought it into the house, it was just too much for people. Okay, well, my brother stopped at Slayer in terms of heaviness, so um, I got into like Cannibal Corpse and this kind of shit, and that was way too much for for anyone. he, He doesn't doesn't even you know didn't even like that kind of shit back then so i think as soon as i started to cross over into death metal and and things like that you know so when it was too much for my family <laughs> it's interesting that you had it at such a young age and to have that extremity the speed the aggression um a lot of people and myself included is that i discovered metal and more extreme music in my teens and it was something shocking like i was a new metal child listening to corn and then when i discovered like slipknot cannibal corpse i was like oh my god this this is like i don't understand this and it's an i had to acclimate my palate much as i did with beer to to appreciate finer and finer more extreme things growing up and having it at, at such a young age everything must have already been like nothing could su- surprise you almost it's like when my kids listen to extreme music all the time or they're walking around the house screaming i can't tell them to stop because this is the music that's playing in the house most of the day when i'm here i think that like morbid angel and Candle corpse was shocking to me i remember falling asleep listening to covenant as a kid like just like you know just like in your room you've been jamming it all day and playing guitar and you just like kind of fall asleep and uh and I remember waking up to that fucking synth track on there, like being kind of creeped the yeah. fuck out, <laughs> you know? So, so I, I, so, you know, like that, that stuff I, I think was, could still be scary. And also I, I grew up in a household, in a religious home. So the, 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 um, the artwork, the, the symbolism stuff. Yeah. I had to hide all of that. Okay. And I remember, I'll never forget when my mom found all of that shit 
she was so upset. It was insane. So yeah, yeah I mean, definitely all of the death metal <laughs> was not cool. Um, and I remember when the first corn record came out too, and I was in uh, fourth grade. And you know, I'd already heard like thrash and stuff, but corn was like a different sound. And so we were all really kind of pumped about it that it was cool. And then I distinctly remember that in sixth grade. When they came out with their second record, we all thought it was bullshit and we stopped listening to it. And then everyone got really into extreme shit immediately after that. So I, I grew up in like a really interesting time. And with my home, it's my, my perspective of heavy music is uh, might be different than a lot of people just because I did so young you know that's super super awesome and it's interesting that that at sixth grade you were already like a gatekeeper like <laughs> what the hell is happening to this new metal shit dude but i, I already had strong opinions like i i remember my brother he bought me master of puppets he bought me an offspring tape he bought me a white zombie tape a nirvana tape a pearl jam tape like i remember all of this shit is like early early things and that's just such a a spread of of sound and taste that I, I think that I just like really latched on to what I liked, you know, early, like a lot of stuff that I listened to as a young man, I still like. Hell yes. I think that happens to us though. That's as we get older, we're the same age. We're about the same age. I, I saw that as I was setting up for this and um, we have very different paths because of the house that you grew up in versus what I grew up in. I leaned heavily into new metal, whereas you fell into the opposite of that, leaning into the more extreme stuff, which is interesting because at the time, all the bands that were extreme were suffering or losing some fan base because of the uh, mass appeal of new metal. And then all these bands, like Slayer did a new metal album, Sepultura did their new metal album. It's interesting. It's interesting. And here you were <laughs> waving the flag for extremity while everyone else was sort of dipping into the new metal. And I remember that being so niche. Like, I remember that time. And the thing is, is I liked Pantera, too, and I liked Down, and I liked all of that shit as well. But I didn't really like Slipknot, and I didn't follow along with Korn. I didn't like Mudvayne or, like, any of that stuff. But I remember, like, I just remember, I remember that period of time when, extreme extreme metal was truly underground yeah like now it's not that at all but i remember that man distinctly people thought you were such a fucking loser if you liked <laughs> that kind of shit like it's it's but it's it's good now that it isn't that way but no, i do no, no. remember it's just, there's a huge resurgence going on right now uh there's also a resurgence going on in new metal so i wonder what you think about that do you understand it now? Is there is there a different perspective uh, coming back 20 years later to revisit it? Well, you know, I wish I could tell you that I had some, like, enlightened opinion on new metal, but I actually don't. <laughs> and I and I, I made the mistake of going at length about that on another one of these. Oh, yeah. <laughs> a couple of years ago with the Doc Coyle. And, oh, I love him. Yeah. He's actually one of the, the influences of the podcast. So, that, Well, no, very nice guy, but him, him and I have such different opinions on music <laughs> so, so i don't i don't knock people for liking what they like and i think that there's flavors of that music that i do like like i like the deftones sexy records you know yeah, i was listening to deftones this morning yeah like like from uh, like white pony and the one with the skull on it and i think there might be another one that i think is pretty good um and then uh, yeah, I mean, I like some some of that flavors of that stuff, but it's just very limited for me, you know, like 
I would never tell you that I thought that Machine Head was a was sick or anything when I was a kid. But even but Machine Head's a bad example because you know I guess okay here's my enlightened view of that as a as a grown man Machine Head sounds a little bit different to me than like most of the new metal they got grouped into that shit doesn't sound like El Nino you know what hell I mean? hell no 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 but they were like doing something and then they dipped into new metal and then they just kept elements of it yeah so you know it's confusing because at the time I'm seeing them and I'm thinking like this is a fucking new metal band but you know I, I guess it's not but I don't know man Mudvayne I don't like that shit Corn's later records I'm not putting that shit on. But I don't knock anyone that likes it. And I also don't knock those musicians because now it's like it's a different world for them now, too. And so to see that rise and fall and then rise again of that stuff is pretty interesting. I think it's super interesting. And I've spoken at length about it with other people and the the fact that it played in households and then those kids are now old enough to go to the shows. I think that has a part to do with it. And it's this, you know, we're running out of headliners, sadly. You well, know? Do the thing of it. Yeah, absolutely. Like we're going to lose Judas Priest. We lost Slayer. We're going to lose a lot of the larger bands. Metallica is not going to go forever. So they're going to get replaced by your Slipknots and like your Corns and all of that other shit. And, and, and I think that that's, that's chill. That's cool. I, uh, and I'll give new metal credit for putting people on to heavier stuff before they could get into extreme music. Like, I don't want to like be as psychotic as I've been in the past about how much I don't <laughs> like the genre. I had no idea that this was a polarizing topic with you when I brought this oh, up. It is, it is a very polarizing <laughs> topic for me. If you, if you look it up in the back past, I, I've like been just fucking indignant about it. But <laughs> the people that approached me about it in the past were like, I think feedback is bullshit. What's your opinion on new metal? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so automatically, I'm like, I'm like, and those fucking band I'm in, I'm like, oh, you think that feedback is bullshit? You're like, so it's. <laughs> no, 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 that's not. That's I'm a new metal child, so so I, I, I just found it very interesting, and I had no idea. I apologize. Uh, it, no <laughs> shows. Let's talk about our first show. <laughs> um, I went to go see one of my first big shows. Was a new metal show, and it was. Um, <laughs> it was Machine Head, Slipknot, and Cold Chamber headlining. I'd love to hear about the first show you went to go see. Okay, so the first big show I ever went to go see was Rage Against the Machine with the Roots. Um, that's that's a musical I, experience right there. It was cool. I had a blast. Me and my little friends had so much fun. I was about 13. Um, but before that... My older brother, because he was playing in bands, took me to some of his band shows, and they were like hardcore bands, like like uh, Integrity sounding hardcore, Integrity Snapcase era mm-hmm. kind of hardcore. So I was also listening to a ton of that because my brother kind of got into those bands. And uh, but yeah, so that the first show I ever went to was one of his shows, and I like had my Danzig Four shirt on at this hardcore show, and it's just like fucking enjoying that experience. But then I saw Rage and the Roots, and that was very cool. This is these massive productions, huge rooms. I remember just being like in my first mosh pit when you can't control where your body's going because the crowd is moving you. Yeah, man. Oh, man. I know. I remember that shit. I remember having that experience as well, being young. I think that the first time I experienced that was actually the Slayer show. Wow. And uh, I tore my meniscus from that shit. I got pushed over and fucked up my leg. I, I'll never forget that. It was so violent back then. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. 
crazy <laughs> just intensity uh, just uh, awe-inspiring intensity and I, now i'm in pit retirement unless i'm on stage directing them <laughs> it's fun though it's fun to watch uh, from afar <laughs> yeah i mean i love it when people do it but I just can't participate anymore. <laughs> I don't know if I, oh yeah, we'll see. <laughs> it depends. I might for the, for the right fucking thing. You know, you never know. <laughs> yeah. You never know. <laughs> um, what about your brother was in a band? Was it an automatic that you wanted to be in a band? Was it, was it a, an inspiration because of him or did that come from somewhere else? I, I, yeah, he's definitely, I love, I loved him. I love him to this day. I looked up to him as a young man. So, so, yeah, I think that wanting to be like Keith was a big thing for me, but also I just loved music and art. Like, I've always just been really into music and art since I was a little kid, man. They wanted me to to play sports because of my size, and I just did not. And I played them, but I didn't play them like Passionately. they wanted me. Yeah. You know, I always wanted to do this shit. So, yeah, I think being like Keith and just having a love for this, you know, just all I've ever wanted to do is play music. Like, or be a comedian. Those are like the two things really? I ever wanted to do. Yeah, that's all I can remember wanting to do. I've never wanted to do anything else. Every job I had, I fucking hated because it's not music. So well, good for you for getting it done now. Um, comedians, <laughs> what what comedians were resonating for, with you that you that inspired you there? When I was young, you know, man, I actually don't remember who I thought was funny. I think Eddie Murphy. Mm-hmm. Probably the, those the, the delirious and the other cassette there, the those two yeah, iconic tapes there. Yeah, Eddie Murphy is like the the comedian I remember from when I was the youngest. That's probably why. And I love Beverly Hills Cop and shit, so it makes sense, you know. Oh, Richard Pryor actually, because the toy that movie, the toy, I loved that. Was it hard to get out of Keith's shadow and find your own identity as a musician? Was that something that you had to struggle with or it just happened? No, actually, my brother helped me get into my first band that played club because he was playing in these hardcore bands. And then I've been playing since I was really young. And then my brother was moving out of town and then everyone needed a bass player. So then I just got absorbed into the music scene that my brother was in. Very cool. I, I owe him for, for that, that too. Uh, so, you know, I'm like the ultra vouch. Yeah, it was cool, man. I'm like 16 playing with dudes in their mid twenties, playing the clubs, like nice. getting, getting exposed to that environment. And, you know, I'm also big. So bars weren't questioning me. Cause there, there are those stories of like, you're allowed to play, but then you get the bracelet and you got to get kicked right out. And then there's that other story where the guy has to play outside. So that, that didn't occur for you. You know, no, it didn't. I, I never had that happen to me, but I've heard those stories. But I think just because my fucking size, man, they were just like, oh, look at this boy. They just let me in there. And Denver used to be more of a, of a Wild West scenario. We, we didn't used to be this big metropolitan city like it is now. This shit used to be way different. You, It was a wild place. I've always had good shows there, but um, I think I, I only started touring through there in the 2010. So I'm sure it had already evolved since then. <laughs> 2010 was kind of at the tail end of when it was what was what it was, you know, when I grew up. What was that first time you on stage? Do you remember that your first show ever? It was at this place called Blondie's Firehouse. And it's probably like a 70 cap room. Wow. 
which is a lot for a first show. That's that's still intimidating. Well, but I was with older guys. So if you so if you mean like first show, real first show, I threw a party in my parents' basement and I was like 11 and me and my little friends tried to play in front of our friends. And then that was it. Really? So the first show was was very young, but I don't know if that that counts. That that's like, were you guys ready? No, we suck. <laughs> it was fucking garbage. <laughs> you're playing but, covers, or are you doing originals already? No, we were playing covers. You know, we're like 11 years I old. Know, you never my... know. Some people are <laughs> proficient, no, <laughs> prolific. No, no, we were playing covers, and uh, yeah, so that's the first real show, but our first first show, but the first real show is a uh, is a uh, this club, you know, Blondie's Firehouse. It isn't even open anymore. No, that 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 is something. Actually, that... back then, I back then that fucking place is called the Shot Glass Company. For anyone from Denver, listen to this who's over the age of forty. So, yeah, Shot Glass Company. My band was called Hem Rage, and I played the bass. And I remember that the owner of the bar had just gotten breast implants, and that they all thought it was really funny to have this young kid around. And that lady kept being like, "If you play good enough, I'll show you my tits." My gosh. Did you play good enough? <laughs> Fuck no, bro. She didn't do that. They just were just saying that shit to me. Were you guys ready? I assume if they're older guys, they like rehearsed, but not every band is in, you know, has, a, let's say, a healthy relationship with band practice. No, we were, we were practicing twice a week. I was going and hanging out with these dudes in this dank ass basement. That's a good ed- etiquette to learn early on. And I'm, you know, band practice for a lot of bands is once a week. But when you want to do something for real, you got to get up there to the two, three times a week, which is what I did when I got into my first Montreal-based band, Three Mile Scream. Shout out to Mike Marino, also works for Audio Technica, which is why I have this mic. Um, and he ingrained that in me, that band practice is a way of life. It's a way of creating relationships with your bandmates. It's a way of working the band as a business into something that actually does something because you have continual band meetings all the time. And then I joined Cryptopsy and we didn't jam for the first six months I was in the band. And I was like, what the fuck is going on here? And that's something that's continued. But uh, <laughs> you have band practice today. Yes, I do. Primitive Man is really good. We do two days a week. Hell yes. Um, one, we, we, are, we do once a week, but we also don't do as much shit. So Hell yes. But it's, it's important, people. Practice. Don't be like Cryptopsy. <laughs> No, no, man. I mean, yeah, we got to do it. We grind is what we do. We we grind before, and then the first few days of tour are not, we're not the proudest of. That's the true story of everything. I want to talk about sound. You mentioned feedback. Uh, I like feedback, and I like sound, and I like uh, the intensity of Primitive Man. And I have heard from a bunch of people that you guys are one of the loudest bands that they've ever gone to see. I appreciate it. Talk to me about sound. Talk to me about crafting something that's more than just intensity you you want to craft horror you want people to be horrified you want to create an sonic experience and and that's really what primitive man and the whole the meat of this conversation is going to be about uh yeah man we really want to create atmosphere i think that our first record and like some of the splits we did were real riff heavy and like kind of more on the traditional side of doom and sludge you know and then as we evolved as the band we really wanted to create atmosphere, create a, a, a sense of dread and overwhelming power and pressure and weight in the sound because the subject matter is very deep. So for me, I want people to have like a small taste of, of 
what that turmoil at the time may have felt like for me. The music is to reflect that. Um, and I think that the only way to really do that is by having a fuckload of amps and for being very loud and for dialing your tone in to do it in a specific way. Like John, the bass player is very crucial to us sounding the way that we are. If John didn't have that tone that he does, Primitive Man would not be the same band. And I also wouldn't be able to play the way that I do without him holding it down the way that he does. He's uh, incredible at that. So I think that having him command the low end in the way that he does gives me the opportunity to color the rest of the of the music in such a fucked up way. You know what I mean? But really, the 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 power of the amps is, is crucial to that. And and it sucks because when we go over to Europe, we can only play through half of the stuff. So I feel like European audiences, unless they they've seen us at a festival, have not. Like if you it's a club, yeah, you're not getting the the full effect at all, and uh, it's unfortunate. But I hope that one of these days we can make it happen. Like you know, I love Sun, I love, I love them very much. They're a huge influence on Primitive Man, even though we're not doing it drone how to do. The smothering atmosphere was something that I wanted to bring to the space of a of a rock band, I guess I say with quotes there. So, you know, I would love it if we could get to a place where no matter where we play, we have what we need and for it to be, for the art to be the way that it's intended to be shown, you know, that must be frustrating. And do you have an amp sponsor at this point? So, uh, Dean Costello amps, um, in Chicago, I would say, and then orange have hooked me up and not, and, and have like, made it doable for me to have uh, a lot of amps. They haven't given me free amps, but they've made it doable for me to to. Okay. Well, find, or, find orange, I hope there's an orange in, in Europe and I hope that they're listening and uh, hook, hook a man up. You know, there's just the, 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 you're robbing the primitive man fan base of the true experience. But you know, I don't know the orange very, very care very much about primitive man, but I think that they're aware that I'll give them money for, for some amps. That's an alarm. But uh, Dean Costello, Dean Costello out of Chicago, Dean Costello Audio is a is a big supporter of ours and um, has helped me shape my tone with those heavy metal warfares, and uh, it's essential. Um, but over in Europe, we only play through Orange because that's all that's available. So I, I Cryptopsy for the past few years, um, Chris has had a camp. But he had a, before he had a camper, he had a. Well, man, but the thing is that the, the style is just so different. A lot of these guys, like, we, we did a tour with Fit for an Autopsy. And, uh, yes, Will and everyone. Dudes, yeah. yeah, those dudes use uh, Kemper. Uh, I think, I'm pretty sure it was them, or maybe, yeah, because the dudes in Acacia Strain use tube amps, but, and we were out with them as well. But, yeah, those dudes use Kemper, and they make that shit work. I've, I've played with a lot of musicians who can make those work. Uh, one of the dudes in Crowbar uses one of those who and has real good tone from it but i just think that it it, it just would not work for us at all it's, it's the room experience and that's a, that's what i was building to was the it's so quiet and we don't even have amps on stage anymore now that we've transitioned to in-ears and i'm literally going after this i have an appointment to get molds done for my in-ears and it's so quiet on stage. And that's something that is very different between Cryptopsy and a Primitive Man show. And, and the evolution of 
how quiet a show can be. You, you go see these bands side stage nowadays, and you can't hear a single thing at a festival because there's no amps. There's just drums and maybe vocals, and you can hear it coming from the, the, the FOH, the front of house uh, speakers that are leading out to the crowd. It's interesting that you guys are going so in the opposite direction and creating a wall of sound, which is what used to happen back in the day because... Things were just the, the PAs weren't strong enough. Nowadays, it's the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of times, what they'll do is that they just won't put the amps through the mains. So, so we're we're uh, using the full power of the amps, and then the drums, vocals, synths, all, all that come stuff. through front of house. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we have a sound person now. Him who, uh, which is essential too, if you have to be because like if you have like <laughs> house guys who are used to dealing with anything, and then you guys come through it, they're always like, "Turn it down." <laughs> um, they do do that, but mostly in Europe, <laughs> they're very strict about DBs um, in Europe. They, they are, but everywhere else that we've played, they've been like, "Turn that shit up," and and uh, it's it's awesome. But having our own person has been essential, but we have met some really gifted and talented uh, uh, sound engineers in-house over the years, um, which the funniest one is that one of the guys from that band, the Spin Doctors, one time. No way. <laughs> this dude had us sounding fucking amazing. Wow. I was like, this guy was in Spin Doctors. This is crazy. <laughs> Unbelievable. So, How do you deal with... Um, a lot of people, um, we suffer from tinnitus. It's something that uh, knowing uh, Frank Marino, who's a guitar legend from here in Montreal, his um, nephew was in Three Mile Scream, Mike, uh, who I mentioned before. Mike had told me that Frank has horrible tinnitus from, from years and years of ear abuse. And uh, he's has to learn to love the sound that is ringing in your ears is something that... I don't have horrible ear damage, but I definitely have a bit of tinnitus. How do you guys deal with that? The, the, the sonic power coming from behind you all the time. Is that something that you've learned to deal with over your life, tinnitus? And is it something that you actively protect against? Um, Joe wears in-ears and protects his ears when he plays now. Um, I think that drummers really get it bad. Dude. The symbols. Yeah. The cymbals, the snare, you're in front of the amps when when you're like us. Drummers get that shit so much worse than everybody. Um, so I'm so it's good that he's doing that now. But yeah, in ears for him. John wears earplugs at practice. I'll wear earplugs at practice because it's a smaller room. Um, and we we don't play as loud at practice as we used to for <laughs> our hearing. And your neighbors and your neighbors were just very very happy. Well, they still complain. So it's. <laughs> Fine, but uh, but we're we're in a room with a bunch of different bands and shit, and the the landlord is constantly moving fucking bands around that are loud <laughs> because five bands can't handle it when we practice. But um, <laughs> which I appreciate. Shout out to Fish. But uh, so you know, wearing earplugs at practice. Joe wearing in ears. Live, I do not wear them. John, I think goes back and forth depending on what's going on um and i have a little bit of tinnitus but i don't have it like you would think and i don't i don't know why i i've i've speculated that it's because of my height and the symbols just yeah if i stand far away enough from them 
then I, it's just not happening for me. But there, but there, you know, but if I'm close to the amps and shit and I don't have ear protection, if we're in a small, small situation, yeah, my ears will be fucked up. So I don't, I try not to do that kind of thing anymore. If I know that I'm going to be in a situation like that, which we're, we're not in those situations as much as we used to be anymore. I, I think that playing larger venues has helped with that as well. But then there's I get more you space. More, yeah. There's just more space. And, and, and if they're, we're, we're using the amps as we've always used them with them not putting it through the main. So I don't know. The only thing I can say for me is maybe it's the me being so tall. It's just not hitting me in the same way that it does a lot of people. But I'm not a doctor. I don't know shit. I, I don't know if that's true. <laughs> maybe in a couple of years, I'll be all fucked up and I'll be like, oh, man, I should have not thought that that was real. But I don't know. I've been playing. But, I've been, but now, man, but, you know, I've been playing loud music for like over 20 years. So, <laughs> so far it's been okay. That's good. Let's keep it going in that direction. John Levasar, who was in Cryptopsy for many years, uh, between his two stints, because he took seven years off, he went to go see an audiologist and he was expecting to have ear damage. And the only thing had a little bit of a, uh, a reduction in his left ear, which because he stands on stage right. And it was the symbols on that side that got him, he thinks. Yeah, so I stand kind of to the side. So if it'll be anything, it'll be my left ear. Um, but I have like nice earplugs that I'll try and wear. The, the, so also the reason I don't wear I, I was going to ask that. Yeah. I read yeah. is because of the singing. If I have earplugs in, I only hear myself and I hear myself in a way that it does not sound. It doesn't sound like that out there. That's true. And it fucks with your brain. Me. Up. Yeah. So, because, like, yeah, oh my I god, I suck. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I start doing goofy shit with my voice because it sounds different. So I, I just can't. With the singing, it's impossible. Have you considered in ears? Is that something that is a future, or is it just it's going to take away from that sonic experience that you're creating? Well, I think I kind of like I kind of like the the sensations because it's real quiet that's that's the thing yeah that's we we just did, did the switch there and a lot of singers have a hard time switching but i've always sang with the earplugs the the molded fitted earplugs i've had those for 10 years takes it's those yeah. are way better than the, the squishy whatever you got there if you get like the molded just that cuts 25 db there that won't fuck with your voice that yeah maybe i'll try that out i gotta i have to look into more expensive options i think i thought investment. about the interview yeah. Yeah, I've, 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 we've we've discussed that with the in ears for me. We did a tour of Baroness, and all of them have in ears and shit. But uh, but no, all, all the silly jokes you can put in your ears that no one hears in the front of houses. It's great. It's uh, <laughs> don't fuck this part up, Matt. Yeah. Right. Well, I think that you know having a sound engineer is is a uh, new for for us for the last uh, uh, two year three years now. We've had a sound sound engineer, um, and I think that having her with us opens up the when the door to shit like in ears and oh, like yeah. all these things if you have someone that can we, control we, it from it. yeah we wouldn't have considered before you know we'll see we'll see we'll take care of yourself that's for sure Hey, what's up, Vox and Hopsins? I just want to take a little moment about Cryptopsy's upcoming tours. That's right, I'm talking about the Scream of Perseverance tour and our headliner dates. 
that coincide with that tour called As Summer Burns. The Scream of Perseverance tour is kicking off at the end of May and runs all the way until the end of June. We are supporting the mighty death to all. We are going all over the United States and we are hitting some of Canada. So excited to be honoring the legendary music of death alongside amazing musicians that performed on these albums. Even more stoked to be doing some headliner dates in some cities that I've actually never played in. If you are planning to come to any of these shows, you should definitely grab your tickets by going to voxandhops.com slash summer, and you will be able to grab all of your tickets there. That's voxandhops.com slash summer. Do it, people. Come hang out with me. Enjoy life, metal, and craft beer in your hometown Come to a show. We're going to have a great time. Now, enough about all of that. Let's get back to the episode. Something that you've done a whole bunch of, and I think it's super interesting, and Cryptopsy's never done, is a bunch of splits. So doing research, you have basically three, let's say, true albums, three, four true albums. I didn't count the numbers, but a handful of those, but you have way more splits. So talk to me about the decision of, of teaming up with other bands and what that brings you. Is it the exposure? Is it just a, a fun camaraderie that you want to expand upon? I'm, I'm curious about that. It's all of that. Um, the splits with Hell and Unearthly Trance are my favorite and, and with Fister. Um, but, and those are all bands that I love and respect their art very much. And, and everything else uh earlier splits before that were like us trying to expose ourselves to someone else's audience and vice versa underground bands kind of trying to help each other out and whatever else so uh, you know it's a little bit of mix of everything um but now if we were to do a split with a band it would be simply because we are friends and like their art you know and it's interesting to to step into a room with someone else and just bouncing off different auras to create something completely new is super, super interesting. Oh, do you mean splits or collaborations? Uh, both, honestly. But the splits is like when you take two separate things and you mash them together and you release them. A collaborations when you do something together together. Yeah, yeah. The only only one of those we've done is with Full of Hell, and we had a wonderful time doing that shit. I would do that again with another band in a heartbeat. It would just have to be someone who you know who we like what they do and vice versa. Um, but yeah, man, I, I I love doing stuff with other bands. It's fun. Um, teaming up is always good, but we don't get to do it as much these days. The Full of Hell thing was the first thing we done with another band in a long ass time. It's because you guys are busy and popular and you're going on a bunch of tours and Napalm Death inviting you guys out to Europe and that's why. You're 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 busy and, and in demand, which is a good thing to embrace. Um I would love to hear about the biggest failure that happened in your career but you learned the most from I've experienced so many ups and downs and and I'm like at the front of a lot of stuff that we do, you know, like the decision making. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and like, oh man, I just, the biggest, so you would say mistake. Is that what you said? Mistake, failure. Um, something, it's not necessarily a failure. It's, it's something that a bad business decision, uh, something that happened within the band. It's just so difficult for me to, to pick one thing. <laughs> I can think of The one that, that taught you the most. The one that taught me the most. 
Like we have to say no to a lot of tour offers, and then sometimes you see that tour get announced, and you know your logo's not there, and that's 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 something that you're like, ugh. And then the reason the reason you turn down the tour is for something else, and that falls through. That could hypothetically be one. Um, I think that the thing for for me that I've learned is that you have to okay. I've been in bands before Primitive Man that no one was willing to take huge risks to make it happen. So if we were to get a tour offer for something and it was in at an inopportune time, we would not take it. We wouldn't do it. But then the band continues as it was, which is okay if you can like grind hard enough to kind of get your own following, create your own culture around your own band and like do that sort of thing. But you really do need those support opportunities and you really do need to be able to have a flexible schedule to meet those things. So with primitive man, when I started that band, it was like very explicitly communicated that we needed to be ready to like fuck everything up to make it happen. So for years we were quitting jobs faking weddings, faking family reunions, <laughs> all of the fucking shit to our jobs to be able to make it happen. And then as we've gotten older and can this primitive man specifically, as we've gotten older and been able to keep the band together, everyone has molded their lives around doing the band and like make their personal life work around that. And I think that that's the biggest lesson that I learned after over a decade of failure before, because the band I was in before was a decade of failure. Dude, we were trying so fucking hard, but it was just with like DIY touring and doing it by ourselves. But again, we didn't get these opportunities. It was not coming together for us. Shit sucked. So yeah, that first 10 years of me trying to do it at this level on my, like, as the front man of my band and as the person making the plans is that you really do have to mold your life around being able to do the touring band. If you want to eventually go on tour with your fucking heroes, it's just not going to happen if you don't do that, which is like so brutal to when I say it out loud, but I know from life experience and I also book bands and I see it happen for them, the bands who are in, unable to like make this shit work because of whatever re reason. And then they can just never take these support opportunities. And then we're just like slogging away in the trenches for them, trying to make things work for them on their own momentum. And I think that like, yeah, you got to give your life to it. You have to give your life to the art. I do agree that, that some people have to come to terms with that they're going to be a weekend warrior band. Yeah, and that's fine. And there's a place for that. And that's okay for people. And I think that at the, at the root of everything I'm saying, it's like, what is your exactly. desire? Like my desire, you know, like my desire is to play as many cool shows with cool bands and bands I look like and looked up to and travel and make a little bit of money and if I can and whatever else but to at least never have to pay out of my pocket again to be able to do this shit like for us a lot of it is like i just don't want to have to like eat 
barbecue sauce on again. rice. <laughs> to, to, again, the the peanut butter, peanut butter, and and the Wonder Bread, the Wonder Wonder something bread, the, the squishy big white bread that's cheap as fuck. The primitive man of of early, we were living like shit. Like, I, like I say all this, but it's like it's not easy, and I I I get why people don't want to fucking do that to themselves it takes a specific kind of person with a specific kind of goal but i think yeah come to terms with it if you're not willing to give your life to the art then be comfortable with growing slowly be comfortable with making your own way be comfortable with watching the people who do do it get the things that you want and not be salty about it. That is very wise right there. And I also think like if you are the person in a band, say you're watching this right now or listening to this right now and you're in a band and you are that person that's can't liberate themselves or won't take those risks and you're holding back this band, hypothetically you have a decision to make there to let your brothers or let your, your bandmates, let your team go on and you should step back hypothetically. Yeah, you got to let people be free. You cannot, yeah, don't hold back your bandmates. Like if everyone else in the band wants to do that and you want to do it, you got to let them go. And and because they love you and don't want to fire you. And so what you're doing that's is- That's one of the hardest things to do. Band. That's literally yeah, one dude, of the hardest just, things to do. Yeah, That shit is a fucking mess. And I've had, I've had unfortunately, have had to let people go in the past because they weren't able to do shit, which is like a, a terrible feeling and not something that I wanted to do because I liked them as people and liked playing with them, but I wanted to do things. Also, if you can't do that, make sure that you're making art that really like serves you because that's really what this is about. Besides all of the touring and like the business bullshit that comes along with that, like making honest art that serves you and your soul is number one. And I think that like people who are able to do that and, and, and are able to create to satisfy themselves and make good shit. That's half the battle. Like. Like I remember then when, when I was because because being able to do it as frequently is also a new thing for me. I have a whole fucking life before that of 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 i worked for the school system and i was una- only able to go on school breaks but i did choose that job because i had a lot of breaks to play and i like children but so i know what it's like so i don't want anyone who's listening to this to think that i'm like talking down on anyone who doesn't do fucked up shit like eat barbecue Q sauce on rice and lose every girlfriend <laughs> they've ever fucking had and every fucking job they've ever fucking had and, and all this shit. Missing, you know, missing, like, missing all your friends' weddings and missing... Yeah, every wedding. Sometimes some funerals. Like, some real crazy shit can happen if, if you're trying to do that. I, I'm not trying to talk down on everyone. I, it's just... It's not easy. It's not, I didn't know you worked in the school system. I work in with kids, too. Yeah, man. I did. I did for a long time. I worked for Denver Public Schools for 15 years. Really? That's awesome. That's awesome. We'll have to have a whole other chat about that. I love making beers because it's a big part of my identity. That's uh, one of my favorite things to do. I've made over 80 of them in the past five years. Uh, if you could make something, it doesn't have to be a beer because it doesn't necessarily fit you at this point, what would be the perfect uh, collab for Primitive Man? I really wish someone would make us some weed. Yeah, you're not the first person to say that. Signs of the Swarm said the same thing to me. Yeah, I'm just like, I wish someone would make us some fucking weed. 
Or, you know, or even like some coffee would be kind of cool because we all drink coffee, but I think that that's corny. So coffee's coffee's some... easier. Um, I'll say that. Weed is possible, especially since you're in Denver. You just need to team up with a, a local grower and have it be only available in Denver, hypothetically, would make it easiest. Yeah, I just, uh, I'm not good at that. I don't have a skill set of reaching out to people being like, hey, you want to make some weed for my band? So, you know. I just hope it happens. <laughs> if someone's listening to this that makes weed in Denver, uh, Ethan is waiting for your email. <laughs> yeah, please. <laughs> what, 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 what kind of weed would, would be uh, the perfect primitive man weed? A very heavy indica, like, puts you on your ass kind of weed. <laughs> With maybe a little bit of that cerebral in there. Maybe a nice indica-leaning hybrid, you know? Hell yeah, and they can do like... Uh, It'd have to be announced this way and it'd have to, I think everything's legal enough that you could do this now where you like, you burn it at the shows and like shoot it out in the smoke and then it's like a true experience, but people have to like consent to it beforehand. Just stand at the front of the stage. I'll make sure you can feel fucking weed. One last question. Um, I typically ask about people's hangover cures, but that no longer applies. I would, I have another segment called fight the hops. We'll wrap up with that. Uh, fight the hop segment is about a a goal a short-term goal that you're working on right now that you hope to accomplish within the next month two months uh what what are you doing right now to fight the hops well we're working on a record right now and we've got like um one side of an lp written i'd say um so i'd like to get that done that's my short-term goal is to get that done but it's been we've been writing these songs for a long time and uh really putting a lot of work into these man like our previous albums we would be in the middle of writing and then there would be some fucked up deadline we had to make and then we would rush through stuff to get it done so with this record it's a little bit more we've been able to take our time and, and do a lot of things we have been able to explore in the past so that's my my number one short term goal right now is to finish the next primitive man record um and I got another one is trying to get Vermin Womb on a little tour. Yeah. And uh, I got a bunch of like performance art stuff that I'm trying to complete as well. Cause I play a uh, noise and experimental music and drone. all. The- so I'm, I have a lot of that going on. It's like kind of coupled with some performance art that I'm working on as well. So I have, I have a ton of short term goals, like short term, like 12 months, you know, <laughs> you, need, you need like another 72 hours a week. It sounds like. Man, I really do. I uh, I really, really do. My number one challenge, I you know, to fight the hops. What I should do is, is I should drop some shit because I, <laughs> I, 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 I do. I have a lot of projects and a lot of things. You're booking bands, or you have a noise project, <laughs> two bands. Yeah, man. I, I like to. See you have friends. I hope that you still see. I do. I have I have some friends that I see that don't play music, and I just meet them twice a week for coffee. Oh, I love so. that, because they don't fucking care. I have some friends from high school that I still see, and they don't give a fuck about what I'm doing, and that's amazing. You have got to fucking have <laughs> friends that are not in this shit. It is important. <laughs> it helps you keep perspective. So many of these musicians in our little scene think that it's the biggest shit in the world. I'm like, actually, this is the smallest shit in the world. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Shout out to to Laura and Tina for keeping me grounded. (laughs) Shout out to Brian. Yeah. Hell yes. Ethan, thank you so, so much for taking the time, hanging with me, talking about life, talking about music, uh, talking about uh, all kinds of amazing things. This was great. I'm glad we connected. I'm looking forward to meeting you face to face. Um, Go to band practice. You got to do it. Wear earplugs. (laughs) I hope we get to run into each other. I'll be... uh, 
in here in Montreal. Yeah, yeah man. Okay, I'll be up there. Uh, I think in the spring or the summer, I'll, I'll holler at you. I love that. Please do. I might be somewhere else, which tends to happen in our relationships, but uh, we'll make it work. And I'll, I'll holler at you if I'm ever in, back in Denver, which I hypothetically might be around that time too. Yeah, man. Please let me know. Have a great one. I appreciate you very much. Yeah. Take care, man. Hey, thank you all so, so much for listening right to the end. You know that I love and appreciate that. Man, this was another awesome conversation. Once again, the Vox and Hops album review crew introducing me to a musician. I love that. That's two weeks in a row. Last week with Rorikal, Jerry introduced me to them. And here we are again being introduced by Ben. Very stoked to have connected with Ethan. I loved our conversation. I literally had no idea that new metal was going to be such a polarizing topic. Uh, I am a new metal child and I grew up in it, and I tend to bring that up in a lot of podcasts. And if you're a Vox and Hops head, you know that. Uh, very stoked uh, about what Ethan is doing about creating a sonic landscape with his music, creating a visceral experience for people in the audience with Primitive Man and everything he's doing. He is an artist. This is one of these people out there that is a truest form of artist, that word. And I am sort of uh, jealous of that. I think it's very, very uh, awesome and impressive that he's created such a vast uh, persona and identity through his art and that is something that I would hope to strive to do one day so massive cheers to you Ethan I cannot wait to hang out with you face to face and have a chat with you because I really truly truly enjoyed this chat now if you enjoyed this Vox and Hops episode you should sign up to the Vox and Hops Metal Podcasts mailing list you can do that on my website voxandhops.com that's v-o-x-a-n-d-h-o-p-s.com and when you do that you shall receive one email a week that contains all of the details of everything that has happened in the world of the Vox and Hops Metal podcast. You will get to see which episodes I dropped recently. You will also get to see which episodes I have coming up. You will get to hear about any projects I have in the works for the Vox and Hops Metal podcast, and you will also be updated on whatever I got going on with Cryptopsy. That's right. Cryptopsy, we just dropped our brand new album back in September of 2023, and we are doing a whole bunch of stuff. We are planning a massive 2024, starting with that European tour, uh, the unquestionable blasphemy tour with atheists that's coming up at the end of february it's running all across europe until the end of march you also get to see which albums the vox and hops album review crew have reviewed recently and you will get to see which albums jerry monk vox and hops's metal architect has added to the brutal awakenings playlist there's always a lot of stuff going on in the world of the vox and hops metal podcast and i hate when you miss a single thing so do me a favor and sign up to the mailing list the vox and hops metal podcast is brought to you by sound talent media and evergreen podcasts i hope you have a killer rest of the week i will be back next week with yet again another episode on tuesday but until then remember to enjoy life metal and craft beer cheers vox and hops heads hey everyone this is tuck from fit for a king in off-road minivan every week i bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast get tucked Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Mods to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media.